Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Wherever you are on your journey to glorify God, we are so glad you're here. On the Journey Women podcast, we'll come alongside you in the seasons and challenges of life to move you to know and love God and His Word, to find your hope in the gospel, and to invest deeply in your local church as you go out on mission for the glory of God. Today, I'm talking to Jen Wilkin and JT English about how our theology or understanding of God influences our everyday life and ministry. You guys, this conversation is full of insights that will meet you right where you are in whatever work the Lord has set before you today. If you don't know them, Jen is an author and Bible teacher who is passionate about seeing others become committed followers of Christ who are grounded in the Word of God. And JT is the lead pastor at Storyline Church, the author of several books, and co-founder of Training the Church. Jen and JT are two of the co-hosts of the Knowing Faith podcast, and they are also now co-authors of the new book, You Are a Theologian, An Invitation to Know and Love God Well. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. But before we go there, did you know that Journey Women is a nonprofit organization? That's right. You can help us continue producing content to reach women all over the world to move them to know and love God. To join us, visit journeywomenpodcast.com slash give. Thank you for your generous support. and JT. Welcome back to the Journey Women podcast. Oh, thanks for having us on. We're so glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Hunter. Well, of course I had to because I knew you guys had a brand new book coming out. It's actually already released. It's called You Are a Theologian, and I have had the opportunity to sink my teeth into it. And it's so good, you guys. You're like number one in the systematic theology category on Amazon, maybe even more. I haven't checked like all the categories. That's just fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited about it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about that today just in relation. Well, first, maybe introductions would be nice, but you guys really need no introduction, which is why I just skipped that part. So many of our listeners have grown so much just in their understanding of who God is um, by just learning from you, even at a distance. Jen, I mean, you and I go way back to 2010 when I got a hold of you know, women of the word before I ever knew you. And it's just been so fun to get to know you and to see that those are just truths that you live out and Mm -hmm. that you um, have passed down to so many of us younger women. So thank you. And JT, man, you have been a joy to get to learn from through your books, Deep Discipleship, and then now you are a theologian. And also just by listening to the Knowing Faith podcast, which is kind of a sister podcast for Mm -hmm. us here at Journey Women. So if you want to go even deeper theologically, I would say um, go over and listen to Knowing Faith. They They have a lot of fun over there and always make me laugh. So um, what else, guys? I mean, you guys have beautiful families. 
You guys are our writers. families are the best part of us. They like really the Wilkin are. crew in the English clue. We, I mean, they're just the best mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of what Jen has, what I have. We're like, can you guys are going to stay with us, right? You're not right. going to leave, right? Yeah, we're not, you're not leaving, are you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So sweet. So, yeah, it's fun to, to get to see how um, all these things just impact your very real lives. So that's what I want to talk about today is just how our theology impacts our very real life and how all of us are engaging in ministry, whether we're in paid ministry like you guys are, or just doing ministry within the four walls of our own home. So this series is called Rest for the Weary. And in it, we are just hoping to encourage people who feel tired in the work that the Lord has set before them, especially in their local churches. So Mm -hmm. I think, though, that like the big thing we're going to have to debunk in this series is that people probably don't consider themselves to be in ministry if they don't receive a paycheck. So as believers, can you talk to us about just like how we're all theologians, you you talk about that in your book, um, how are we all engaging and involved in ministry work, even if it's unpaid or informal? Yeah, well, I'll go first because that's more my own story. Um, okay. I you know, was the, the years that I had been in paid vocational ministry are very short. The years that I was volunteering in the local church are long and, um, and, and fruitful and beautiful to me. Like I never expected to find myself in paid vocational ministry. What I did find myself in pretty quickly were a number of places where it occurred to me, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account. So I taught seventh Mm -hmm. grade Sunday school. I started teaching a women's Sunday school class. Then I started teaching midweek Bible study and all of this during my years of young, uh, young motherhood. So, you know, I had like four tiny babies at home who I also was needing to train up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I didn't want to screw it up. And I think that's the way that we all feel, uh, that, that sense of responsibility, but it's not just that you don't want to screw it up. It's that once you get a taste of the joy of understanding who God is in a, in a sense of like the history of the way the church has understood these, these matters. Um, it's kind of like, like, you know, the whole phrase cage stage Calvinism that people yeah, apply yeah. to those who discover Calvinism for the first time. I think there's just <laughs> a cage stage theology place that we can get to if we weren't given these categories to think in um, early on in our faith trajectory or, you know, um, and, and so that that was my experience was like, wait a minute, there's this rich treasure of shared understanding out here. Mm. Um, I need access to that because I don't want to do new things. I want to, I want to retrieve old things and give them to it to another generation. Yeah. I resonate a lot with that too. I mean, I, you know, I, I became a Christian my freshman year of college and spent four years in a, uh, non-church, like a, a, a campus ministry, uh, outside the local church. It was campus crusade. And I'm so thankful for them. It was largely evangelistic, helpful for me thinking about God, but I didn't really understand my Bible super well. It did, I didn't understand how to do ministry super well. So I went to my pastor at the time and said, hey, can you help me do ministry? Essentially is what I was trying to say. And he said, yeah, if you want to learn how to do ministry, go to seminary. And I love seminaries, Bible colleges, seminaries, nonprofits. I'm so thankful for them. I think some people can mishear me when I say this. Like I learned so much when I left the local church and I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. But many of us don't have that chance. We're just in the local church. We're working Mm -hmm. as doctors or chiropractors. We've got four or five kiddos at home and we can't afford it. That's part of Jen, not not that you can't afford it, but like part of Jen's story is I've got four kids at home. Like, how am I going to, you know, move and and go do seminary? And so I think one of the things that I would encourage uh, ministry leaders in as now a a lead pastor of a local church is 
one of the traps that we can fall into regularly that wears us down is that I am doing ministry for people, not with people, or I'm doing ministry for people and I'm not inviting them to do ministry with me. So like, I think I can sometimes think my job is to have a great sermon on Sunday or to teach the Institute well, or to make sure that my email inbox is at zero. But really that's me doing something for other people that they're actually invited into with me. Uh, Ephesians talks about uh, the, the, the role of a local church and the role of ministry leaders isn't to have one person doing ministry for the body, but the whole body doing ministry together. And so I yeah. think one of the things where I get really tired uh, that I can fall into, I, if you're listening to this and you're thinking to, to yourself, man, I'm, I'm leading a home group or a small group, or I'm trying to teach a women's Bible study, and you're tired, weary, and exhausted, who could mm-hmm. you invite into that with you? Because uh, what I wish my, my pastor would have said is, I'm tired, I'm weary, uh, I'm doing too much, rather than me sending one of the guys who's learning about God and is enjoying God away, four states away, to I wish you would have said, hey, can you help me? Can you can you step into this with me? I'd love to train you, to develop you, so that we can do ministry together. And I think that's one of the areas that Jen and I are both passionate about, is how can the local church become not just a place for training, uh, but also a place for ministry leaders to not do ministry by themselves, mm-hmm. but to train up others to do ministry with us. Yeah, that's so good. You know, often I relate to what you were talking about, where I just like have this checklist of things that I need to get done in the week. And I can often find myself serving that checklist from the undertow and not the overflow of like my Mm. just communing with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So why does our like theology and our understanding of who God is and knowing and loving him more through his word, why does that actually matter? And how does that shape like who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, and like how we engage with the things that are the Lord has put in front of us. Yeah, I think uh, for whatever reason, I'm thinking about the prophets in the Old Testament right now. Those guys had really hard work to do. And mm-hmm. I wondered like, how how did Isaiah persevere? How did Jeremiah persevere? You know, the things that they had to do to to minister to the people of God. And, and what the prophets had, and you can tell from the prophecies that they spoke, is they, they had a vision of God high and lifted up. They mm-hmm. had a reference point that was bigger than the work. And, um, and the reference point was so compelling that the work was um, obvious in its necessity, but also I think the role that they played in it was probably very clear to them what they were and were not able to do. I'm speculating. Um, I hope that in the New Jerusalem, I will get to sit down with some of those guys and chat it out. But I know how I can feel in in my work, whether it was unpaid or paid, is like uh, you get to a place where you can grow forgetful that God actually cares more about his church than you do. Um, mm-hmm. That God actually cares more about the gospel going forth or people being trained than you do. And um, I think that um, what theology does is it it keeps us oriented not just to who God is, but to who we are in our role in the mission. That's been my own experience. What would you say, JT? I, I mean, I, I, yeah, a view of God high and lifted up. If if you lose that in ministry, things can get really hard. Uh you have to remember that God is for you. He's for his church and he's ultimately the one pushing ministry forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're an instrument. And so he doesn't want to use you as an instrument that gets worn out and weary in the sense he, 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 uh, one of our colleagues, Mason, I don't know if he took this from somewhere, Jen, maybe he did, but Mason, I remember him teaching in the training program once. And he said, he knows our frame. 
and he's mm-hmm. not trying to break us. And I think wow. that's really important to remember in ministry is like the incarnational ministry of Jesus, the son, the eternal son of God taking upon human limitedness and finitude and sadness. Like Jesus weeps for Jerusalem and yeah. he has a real heart and love for the people of, of, of uh, and I, uh, our other colleague, uh, Kyle and I got to go to Israel earlier this summer. And one mm-hmm. of the things that struck me when we were there this time, I mean, there's so many wonderful things to learn while you're there. The Bible kind of pops. It comes 3D. It's just like, wait a second, you're telling me that they could like see that mountain when they were saying, it's just an amazing experience. But one of the things that comes to mind for me is how far these guys had to walk. I mean, you go to Caesarea <laughs> Philippi and then you come back to Jerusalem and then you go to Caesarea Maritima and you're like, oh my gosh. Like Macy and I did a two mile walk around our neighborhood this morning and, and we were like, you know what? We feel done for the day. We're going to rest now. And in order order to do ministry, some of these men and women were walking uh, without, like, there's not like a gas station along the way, you know. They didn't have Chacos. Yeah, I was going to say they didn't have arch support. That's the first thing I thought. And so so weariness is not something that is unique to 2023 evangelical. There's a weariness that comes with all kinds of ministry and all kinds of work. And to remember that God is our rest. And he is not, mm-hmm. not this is not like the evangelical, like he's not going to give you more than you can handle. Because sometimes it feels like, but really? Because it feels like he is. Like it feels like, it feels like there's too much. The thing that I think I would encourage us all to think about is Jesus has been weary in ministry. Mm-hmm. Right? He grows tired. He He has to get away. He has to rest. And for us to think that we can do ministry without rest, without a vision of God high and lifted up, then, then there is going to be a weariness that isn't like a spiritual weariness, but is a broken weariness. And that's not the kind of th- kind of weariness that we're supposed to experience mm-hmm. in ministry. We're supposed mm-hmm. to experience a, man, we're wringing ourselves out. Paul talks about pouring himself out. That's a good thing. But for us to, because uh, I think in the self-care world, we can think, well, I'm just not going to get tired at all. I'm just going to always be rested, rejuvenated, and ready to go. And that's not ministry. But our rest doesn't just come from not working hard. Our rest comes from being in Christ, Him knowing our frame, and giving us His Spirit to continue moving forward. I hope you really heard what JT said a few minutes ago. He said, God is for you. He is for His church, and He is ultimately the one pushing ministry forward. You are an instrument. If you've ever played an instrument, you know that it takes years of hard work, lots of dedication, and grueling hours of practice to master it and to create something beautiful. But if you think about it, Who is the one doing all that work? It's the one who is wielding the instrument. To continue the metaphor, the Lord is the one who is playing the keys, strumming the strings, wielding the tool, however you want to put it. We are just the tool. We lean into our function, yes. We work hard, yes. But we can rest knowing that He is doing the work through us. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So many of us are on the edge of burnout because we're striving in vain, spinning our wheels of self-sufficiency as we go about our work. So many of us feel weary in the work the Lord has set before us, whether it's vocational ministry, the daily grind of our jobs, or the work of everyday discipleship in our home. So what is the solution? It's simple, and it takes all the weight off of our own shoulders and puts it on the one who can actually bear it. Look to Christ. Look to the one who promises an easy yoke and a light burden. Look to the one who too has been weary and who has rested from toil. Look to the one who has said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.
tell me about that because you know I want the listeners just to get a vision for like how theology like the study of God can actually bring us rest so if we're feeling weary you know but like we want to learn more about theology but we're also already weary <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're like, how do we like <laughs> do more you know like what what's the argument for leaning in and continuing to study even when we're feeling really restless and how will it ultimately provide us with that soul kind of rest that you're referencing mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of an analogy. I am I am not great at um, doing things by the book initially, and so I. <laughs> Can I just I, laugh at that for like, a second? So, like, for I example, I my stepmother taught me how to sew. And then I was like, well, sure, patterns, whatever. I think I can do this on my own. And I experienced measured success doing that. Mm. Uh, But when I grew better at understanding just the how and that I had the right machine, um, sewing went a lot better. The outcomes were a lot better. And so I think sometimes we are unaware that some of the fatigue that we're carrying might be related to doing things the hard way. And um, I think that one of the functions of learning theology is that you get invited into a a realm of experience. It's kind of like getting, say I had been invited to the sewing guild and had access to um, all of the advice that they might have offered to speed my learning process or to... or to uh, deepen my learning process. And I think theology does the same thing for us. Uh, One of the most important doctrines in the book is the doctrine of the church, right? It's knowing where Mm. your place is in the church and understanding how the church means that you're not doing this all on your own and you don't have to live life as the first Christian. And this is a significant, uh, my, my husband granted me this insight it was around parenting, but it applies to this as well. He said, so many new parents live life like the first humans. They, they're like, gosh, having a baby so hard, you know? And it's like, yeah, guys, like, where was your expectation? <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, they have all these modern conveniences, you know, that I'm right. thinking a woman in the second century would be like, tell me how hard <laughs> it is for you, right? And so I think that what the doctrine of the church does, and even just the, the historic gift that theology is to us, systematic theology is to us, is it reminds us, hey, you're not the first Christian. And um, maybe this feels harder to you than it should because you're missing an important reference point. Would you tell the Apostle Paul that it's hard for you to be a Christian today? And it's hard to be a Christian in any age. So I don't mean to say that there aren't things that are hard about it. Um, But there's something about... um, you know, misery loves company. That that it's it's some some of what you learn is oh, actually maybe I've I've looked at this the wrong way. Maybe I'm uh, overplaying the hard card because I haven't placed it in the context of two thousand years of of following Christ. Yeah, that is so so relatable. Uh, you know, the other thing I really related to in your book is. This is such a terrible segue, but the (laughs) illustration that you gave um, in relation to the conversation about who God is and the movie Elf. I thought that was such a great (laughs) illustration. (laughs) And guys, if you pick up the book, just know that there are a lot of illustrations like that in the book that just stick in your brain. And as I was reading one of the things I was thinking is, man, this is such a great introduction to theology. But more than that, as somebody who has read books on theology, I just thought this is going to help me teach 
theology so much better um, with such wonderful illustrations and the, just the clarity that you guys offer. Um, so tell me this, um, how might our weariness or our fatigue, the things that we're experiencing as we go about the work that the Lord has set before us actually relate to our understanding of who God is or the doc- the doctrine of God? Oh man, I uh, I, I said this in a in a um, in deep discipleship, but I kind of keep coming back to it because when I wrote that book, I wasn't a lead pastor yet. I'm not doing theology in a local church in a different way. And mm-hmm. so far as like I'm preaching every single week. When I was at the at the church that Jen and I uh, worked at together, we, I had such a great experience there. I'm so thankful for it. But it wasn't my job to get up each Sunday morning to preach. It was I got to receive the word. I got to enjoy mm. and, and kind of feast on it. And I think uh, one of the things I've learned over the last three or four years since I've been out in Colorado uh, as a lead pastor is I think I'm going to overstate the case, but maybe to use kind of a like simple terms, ministry is not the food. God is. And sometimes we yes. can make ministry the food. We can make it the thing that is we think is going to sustain us, or we can think it's the thing that's going to keep us going. But like going to the next home group, preaching the next sermon, teaching in an institute, or going to evangelize or hosting whatever, those are all great. But we're doing that over an overflow and of abundance of the feast that we've already had, which is the nature and character of God. And that's something that I've had to learn. I kind of thought, oh my goodness, getting up to preach, that's going to be so sustaining. Can I tell you what happens to me on Sunday afternoon? Afternoon. Macy says the Holy Spirit leaves me for about four hours. <laughs> She's like, the temple. yeah, there's like this. Just, I just kind of like go into my own little coma. She got me a weighted blanket. She puts it on top of me. And, and like I just kind of like fall asleep watching like, you know, golf or football or depending on what pug. the season is. You need a pug. Yeah, I, need a pug. I need a pug to come lay on top of me. So I, I don't know. I just think one of the one of the easy mistakes that we can make is that yeah. ministry is the food. Ministry yeah, is not is, is so not good. the food. God is the food. And so when we think about theology, again, w- there's lots of definitions for it, but maybe, a, and I've never really, we didn't even say it this way in the book, it's just in, theology is enjoying God above mm-hmm. everything yeah. else. Mm-hmm. It's saying that he is our highest good, our highest treasure. He's what satisfies, sustains, and, and, and perseveres us. And so we do ministry from that overflow of the feast that we've had, not believing that ministry is going to be the feast that we're going to. Yeah. I think that even just reading your book, I told you guys, like it, studying theology leads us to doxology or worship. And Mm -hmm. I felt that as I was reading your book, I'm like, man, this just causes me to lift my eyes from the present kind of challenges that I'm navigating and look to the Lord. Like you said, Jen, with the prophets, just to keep your eye, eyes on the Lord. And so I love that. Tell me about how like our doctrine or our understanding of like teaching of scripture really fuels our devotion. Um, and our maybe you guys can break down those terms for the listeners too. It might be helpful. So what's doctrine and devotion and how do they kind of work together? Go ahead, JT. You want me to take it? I got yeah. it. I mean, I don't know if I got it. You, I'll, you, you clean up my mess. I mean, I think one of the things that happens sometimes, uh, this happened when I, so our first, t- my first time teaching through the training program, which I, I wouldn't expect anybody to know here, but it was really a year of just kind of contemplating the story of the Bible, Genesis, mm-hmm. Revelation, the basics of the faith, which we tried to highlight in the book and mm-hmm. some spiritual disciplines is there was lots of people in those first few years who were a part of our worship ministry. And I think yeah. one of the things that happened in those early years is like, wait a second, are we for each other? aren't you guys the thinking people and aren't we the feeling people or aren't you guys the academics and aren't you guys like the worshipers? And one of the things that I tried to highlight and they just so believed and like they, 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 they bought into, they already believed it, but it was like, Oh my goodness. If if, if theology is, is, uh, you know, 
words about God, we should sing those things because he's lovely. If we are singing those things, we want them to be true. And so one of the things that we've tried to highlight in our ministry is theology should fuel worship and worship should fuel more theology. That these are two sides of the same coin that have a reciprocal relationship that are the engine and the fuel of the Christian life. And I think one of the one of the things that can happen is those two people who there's people who might be predisposed to thinking about God and people who might be predisposed to feeling about God and discipleship is realizing you're supposed to be like whole together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I remember one of the things that somebody said to me that when I first went to seminary, they said, you're going to learn so much stuff about God that you won't love him anymore. And I've never learned something about God that wasn't lovely. Yeah. I've mm. never learned something about God that wasn't beautiful and that wasn't right and good. And those are the things that are meant to fuel a love or a devotion towards God. Well, mm-hmm. and since we have a, a most or all female audience, I just want to say to these listeners in particular, I think too often women have been pegged as being the feeling function of the church. Yes. And yes. you're an integrated person. You should mm-hmm. think and feel not only that, but right thinking produces right feelings. And there is a desire among uh, Christians of this generation to feel very deeply not just about God, about most things. Um, and so to be aware of, of how right feeling happens, it's not simply just whipping up more emotion. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the difference between knowledge that leads to devotion and knowledge that leads to deadness is motive. Uh, if you're learning to self-elevate in any way or, or self-actualize in any way, then then you're probably starting at it from, you are starting at it from the wrong angle. If you're learning because you want relationship uh, mm-hmm. with the God of the universe to grow and thrive the way that you would think about a human relationship, like um, JT and I have grown to be increasingly fond of one another through the years because we've gotten to know each other better. You know, like imagine yeah. if I had met him uh, eight, nine years ago and um, just kept a surface level knowledge of, you know, what he likes and what's going on with his family. Or what if I didn't know his wife? You know, like the things that we do in human relationships actually do transpose onto our relationship with the Lord. Um, and, and so when you're, when you're looking to get to know someone because you find them worthy of affection, then, then affection is going to flow from, from the knowledge, um, in, in, in female circles in particular, there is such a love for devotional content, um, devotional content that may not be rooted in truth. Um, if your goal in going to the scriptures or to theology is to feel a certain way, I think you're also probably coming at it from an odd angle. You will feel a certain mm-hmm. way, but it's important to, to think about this as like, no, it's, it's a relationship. And, and mm-hmm. if it's a relationship, then it needs to be nurtured in the way that that any relationship does. I'm often asked in interviews, um, I know you do this prep for teaching, but what do you do for your devotional time? And um, I'm not saying that this is universally true for all of us. In my experience, I would never separate the two. I personally would not Mm. want them to be separate and they have never been separate for me. Learning about God is devotional for me. And so um, when, when devotion is separated from learning, I... I think, well, you you need to be drawing on past learning if that's what you're doing uh, in that yeah. devotional time. It ought not to be just make me feel a particular way. 
Oh, 100%. That is so good and so true. You know, I've been lingering long on Amy Carmichael's works because I just published a kid's book on Amy Carmichael. And it's so interesting to read her devotional reflections. And all of Mm -hmm. those are just so grounded in scripture. You're like, wow, Mm -hmm. this is such a great example of someone yes, who Mm -hmm. just she again, like you said, it's all overflow. As you prepare for the summer, we want to share a unique way to introduce your non-believing friends to a local church, Skylark. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you need to know about Skylark Summer Camp for your kids or as a means to supplement evangelism. Skylark partners with gospel-centric churches to provide summer camps as a means of childcare. By meeting parents' needs for summer childcare for kids having completed kindergarten through fifth grade, Skylark positions the local church to meet the spiritual needs of their community. They offer gospel-rich curriculum that is new each day of their summer camp. Kids can attend for one week, a few weeks, or all 11 weeks. Choose from one of their four locations offering a full summer program in Dallas, Plano, Allen, and Mansfield. The cost is $325 a week, but you can use the code JOURNEYWOMEN for 50% off every single week. What? Head on over to CampSkylark.com to learn more. That's C-A-M-P-S-K-Y-L-A-R-K dot com and use the code JOURNEYWOMEN for 50% off. So, you know, I think we've made a great case for like wanting to do theology. I love the verb that you guys gave us in in the book, even though much to uh, Jen's chagrin, given the grammar. Um, I'll never forget when you texted me first. You were like, what does it mean to say this? (laughs) (laughs) She texted me. She's like, what are you writing here? I was like... I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's do theology together. No, he's exactly. right. That's the way people say it. I think they're wrong, but, you know, maybe I'll get over it at some point. How, how would you say it? Just study theology? Learn. Learn. But yeah. I understand why it's to connect learning and doing. I mean, I, I get it. Um, yes. I just don't yes. like it grammatically. <laughs> well, we've made a great case for it, whatever it is. So tell us, like, how do we do that? Because, you know, many of the listeners are, Jen, you spoke so well to just, you know, your experience as being a woman and many of them have, you know, careers, many of them have children at home. I think the disconnect sometimes is like, when, when can I do that? So Hmm. how, and, and, and how would you suggest we go about this work? I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I think one of the things that doing theology can help us to understand is, re- is recognition that it isn't just simply you with your Bible open and a mm-hmm. textbook and maybe a notepad. It's mm-hmm. actually when you're like right now. So my my wife, Macy, you guys both know her, but maybe your listeners don't. It's like she's a working mom. She runs a company. She's right now she's taking her kids to basketball camp at the high school down the street. Uh, we went on a walk this morning, this afternoon. She has tasks that she's going to be doing. Is she doing theology when she does all of those things? And our resounding response is absolutely like there's never a time you're not doing it. This isn't just filling out a Bible study curriculum or reading a book or doing a devotional. That's theology, too. But one of the things that Jen and I are trying to help people see is you're never not doing it. Like you're never, ever, ever not doing theology. So learning is part of the theological task, but also living is part of the theological mm-hmm. task. It's the mm-hmm. it's the practical outworking of, you know, one of our favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, talks about how one of the most important thoughts you ever think is what you think about when you think about God. 
Because what you think about when you think about God is going to determine every other part of your existence in your life. And that includes taking kiddos to a basketball camp and maybe mm-hmm. them along the way asking a question or, hey, what are we doing later? And Or why are we doing a basketball camp? Like all of those little, little tiny kiddo questions or work questions. How am I going to run my books? How am I going to treat my clients? How am I going to interact with uh, my accountant? How am I going to treat the person that's a prospective client? That is theology. And Christians Mm -hmm. want all of life to be governed by theology. So theology isn't this kind of like uh, I've got, you know, maybe some people are watching, I've got books behind me. Some of them are books of like autobiography, some are ministry books, some, some are theology books, but life isn't like that. Life isn't a theology book over here and the rest of life, a bunch of other books. Theology is the umbrella that governs every single thing that we think about and every single thing that we do. Mm. Yeah. I would just add to the busy woman who's listening to this, the way that you enter into any discipline with a hope of accomplishing it is not doing it alone. And theology is not meant to be alone. It's meant to be done in community. In fact, even the way that we structured the book is meant to encourage people to read the book in groups versus just sit and read it alone and think thoughts about it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just way better when you're having dialogue. And, um, you know, that's a reality that JT and I have been confronting in the local church for a long time is that so many of the spaces that we step into in the local church are not dialogic. They are passive learning environments where we sit and receive uh, from an expert some a perceived expert, um, and were the amateurs, but we never perceive ourselves moving toward that person on the platform and our understanding. And so, one of our hopes, you know, for this book is that um, you would gather in groups and talk about what you're learning, and that you would begin to perceive that the person on the platform uh, is not a theologian in a different way than you are, other than that they may have more knowledge now than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, anything you've ever done that you stuck with, like some people join book clubs to keep them reading books on a regular basis. Uh, Bible study, women's Bible study at my church is so much about just keeping women in a space of regular attendance where they have some level of accountability to keep coming even when life is busy. Working out, meal planning, all of these things work better when you have someone else who is, you know, communities that are sharing recipes so that you can plan your weeks out in a certain way. So, um, Mm -hmm. Uh, anything that we do together, we're more likely to do for the long term. And so especially in a busy season of life, looking outside of your own um, daily rhythms for where can I have accountability with other believers to help me moving forward. You know, I think the danger as we're talking is that people might hear you guys and be like, man, I am, like you said, so far from the platform. So Hmm. what encouragement do you have for those who really want to further their understanding of who God is? but who just feel really discouraged um, by where they're at right now. Like, how would you just speak to that person who really desires to grow in their understanding of who the Lord is, but who just feels like, man, I'm already so far behind, I'll never catch up? I have an English degree. Mm -hmm. Full stop. (laughs) Uh, I also have a master's in business administration. (laughs) <laughs> which actually has turned out to be actually very, stop. very useful working in the local church, but uh, more useful than I thought. But I, you know, I, and I'm not, and again, just as JT said earlier, like I value formal theological training. I do, but but we do recognize that for many, if not most of us, it's not going to be an avenue that's going to open up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I want you to look at me and say, I can't say I can't do it. And, and I'm not even 
I'm not even proposing that I am a theologian at the level of someone who has a seminary degree. I would not feel comfortable saying that. But I do, I would say I've done hard work to be able to stand and teach and not feel like I'm going to deviate from historic Christianity and what I might have to say. And so um, you can't say it's not possible. It's possible. Mm-hmm. The question is, how would how would you find time? Where would you appropriate time for this? And who can partner with you to help you be pulled along? In my case, I didn't have a community of women uh, in the in the '90s when I started to develop an interest in theological things. Women's ministry was not a place where I was going to have dialogue partners. Now, praise God, it's not like that as much as it was in the '90s. But my dialogue mm-hmm. partner was my husband. You know, for a long time, he was who we we talked about these things together, um, which was fantastic. And then over time, I began to I began to find other dialogue partners, uh, either in a professional setting or in a in a in a lay setting, who were able to help me along the way. So um, it's possible, and not only is it possible, I can say at age fifty four, it is desirable. It is so mm-hmm. deeply desirable and worth worth the investment. And it's it's a great commission uh, responsibility yeah. that I think is is on all of us. Earlier, JT said, theology is the umbrella that governs every single thing that we think about and every single thing that we do. This means that our spiritual lives are not compartmentalized from our physical lives. I think, especially for those of us who long to do all the right things in our walk with God, that this should take some of the pressure off of our shoulders. For the woman who's in a season where 30-minute quiet times just aren't possible, you are still doing theology by answering your kids' tough questions about life and God. For the woman who doesn't have the margin to lead a women's Bible study, you are still doing the very worthwhile work of ministry when you invite that college girl over for tea and conversation. Maybe the rest you're looking for can come by realizing that your theology is already integrated into your life. Our learning is married to our living. Our theology isn't just in our heads, it's in our hearts and our hands. Our understanding of God comes out in how we engage our neighbors and how we speak to our children. It's in how we approach our studies and our work and our families. Our understanding of God impacts everything. It isn't compartmentalized. One way we can live that out is, as Jen mentioned, to do theology together. I'd encourage you even now to take the next few seconds to reflect on who you could reach out to to do theology with. Now friends, this does not have to be as formal as you think. Yes, it could be a formal discipleship relationship. If so, we have a great resource for that on our website, but it also doesn't have to be complicated. Who can you invite over to chat with while you do laundry? Who can you have over for coffee and bring into your questions about God? What older couple can you have for dinner with to see how they integrate their theology with their marriage? What family can you tag along with to see how they speak to their kids? We're doing theology every day. Let's not overcomplicate it and let's do it together. One thing that I love watching uh, in the Knowing Faith podcast is, Jen, how you've helped normalize the conversation between men and women. Yes, it's great to go with your husband, but just to have that theological conversation with our brothers in Christ. So thank you for going first in so many ways, but also in that, because I feel like particularly in the South, that can be something that's a little clunky and awkward. We feel like we have to be, you know, segmented over here is like the women talking theology. And it's really wonderful to get to learn from our brothers too. So well, thank I you had, guys for modeling that. I was going to say that's 
that's JT and Kyle. I have good brothers who've held doors mm-hmm. open. Well, yeah. and it wasn't just, it, it, more often than not, it wasn't the brothers teaching the sisters the things. It was the sisters <laughs> teaching the brothers the <laughs> So, so many times <laughs> we would just jump back and forth to each other's offices like, oh, can you believe this? Yeah. Hey, I want to just say, I want to say one thing about Jen real quick too, if it's okay. And not just Jen, there's other women that I, that I would say this is true, but I got to see it up close and personal in Jen's life is one of the barriers to ministry access can be, when am I going to get this training? Uh, which is part of Jen's story. Like I'm, I'm raising a family, I'm, I'm you know married, I'm working in a church, and there was just so many things tugging on her. But then the church that she and I worked in, she was kind of past that phase. Kids were in college, and one of the barriers to ministry can be access and opportunity mm-hmm. to teaching environments or the opportunity mm-hmm. to to, to uh, lead a group, or maybe your church does kind of more of a simplified philosophy of ministry where there's just groups and the men lead the groups or whatever it might be. Is I, before Jen Wilkin was handed a microphone, she was in living rooms, and she was, and that can be hard to maybe, if you know kind of Jen's trajectory in ministry, uh, she's been given so many great platforms and opportunities, and Jen, just, I just want to continue to commend, like, you've you've honored the Lord in those spaces, you are the same person that you were that I knew, you know, 10 years ago, and that Macy saw at Sojourn uh, Louisville, <laughs> uh, teaching in that women's ministry space, like, you're still the same person on this podcast today as you were then. But I think sometimes we can wait to do ministry when we're handed a platform. And I just would encourage you, if you're like, I, I just, I, there's probably somebody who's like, maybe you're driving to work and you're like hitting the dashboard. Like, I want to teach a women's Bible study. Or you're you're on a walk right now. And you're like, I want that so bad. Don't wait for somebody to hand you a microphone or like a lapel microphone to say, okay, well, I can teach. Start teaching your kids. Start having conversations yes. with your husbands. Get three or four women into your living room and just begin having conversations on this stuff because that's where this starts. For me in ministry personally, I, I don't th- I, Jen, I'm not sure if I ever told you this story. I was When I was at Dallas Seminary, I began getting a vision for these kinds of things and thinking mm-hmm. theology belongs. This is way before deep. This is this is 10 years before deep discipleship, 10 years before knowing faith. I, I hosted a thing called the Forum at the church that we were at in Dallas. And it was 11 weeks long, the basics of systematic theology. And the the lead pastor right before was like, uh, hey, you guys should come to this. We've got pizza ready for you. And it was the people who showed up were him, me, and Macy. <laughs> yeah. It's three people. It's a church of like 2,000 people. Yeah. Three people came to this thing. And we did wow. it. We just kept talking. So like, mm-hmm. I just don't want people to think I have to wait to wow. do this until I have a platform. If you, you haven't led no a room, what. yeah. If you haven't led a room where only three people showed up, you haven't you haven't yeah. truly led in Christian ministry. Yet. <laughs> yeah, you 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 have to do. Like, there's something that's in me, and there's something that's in Jen, and there's something I think it's in you, Hunter, and I think yeah. in in lots of people that are listening to this is like I can't not do this. Yeah. Like this yeah. is it's a, it's a calling it's a before compulsion. it's a it's a compulsion whether mm-hmm. it's going to be with my two kids before they go to bed or whether it's going to be on yeah. a platform at a conference or whether it's going to be a podcast like I'm going to talk about these things wherever the lord mm-hmm. lets me do that. And certainly along the way I know for both of you you've been in ministry for so long like you said within the four walls of your own home and then in a professional sense there are just these seasons in which we feel weary and it may be like mm-hmm. we are grounded in our theology and we are you know like really striving to draw near to God through his word and all these things and yet we still just feel really tired so what are some doctrines that really comfort and encourage you personally when you have grown weary in doing good well, I mean, I it will be no surprise to those who've read what I've written previously. I, it's the doctrine of God for me. God is omnicompetent. 
therefore I mm. do not have to be, you know, I mean, uh, and I think of like, uh, the words that he speaks to Job when Job is arguably at the, at a lower point than any of us will ever be at, you know, you talk about weariness. That's, that's what you see. in that Job. is weary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And God does not say, Hey buddy, hang in there. You're going to make it another day. Um, <laughs> he says, where were you <laughs> when I, uh, hung the stars? Wow. And then wow. he goes on for a long time saying many, many more things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, that for me is, uh, it's counterintuitive in a lot of ways, I think, um, based on the, just the therapeutic uh, way that we tend to look at life currently. Hmm. But it is deeply therapeutic to be reminded that you are not the hinge on which everything is relying. You are able to add the piece that is your piece to add, be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do, and then you can take your hands off of the rest and trust that. Mm-hmm. And like this is a this is actually a big thing that has helped me just in ministry through the years because most of what I've done is run as be a volunteer running all volunteer teams. In many cases of like a big set, you know, a lot of volunteers and. Um, I would think I hate doing fill in the blank, you know, whatever it was. I really hate doing that. Maybe I'm mm. a terrible Christian and should try harder. Or maybe I have there's someone here who loves doing this and I haven't taken the time to look for them yet. And so I think, you know, when you're reminded the Lord has given you a portion, but he hasn't given you the whole thing, then you're going to have eyes for delegating in a way that you wouldn't necessarily if you're someone in a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's okay to say, this piece of what I'm doing is absolutely sucking the life out of me and think, mm-hmm. who is it that would come to life doing that thing? So mm-hmm. um, all of that, I would trace back that very practical way of running ministry. I would trace back to a, uh, an understanding of who God is. Hmm. That's so yeah, good. That's good. I, 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 I want to give that answer. I've given that <laughs> answer and such a good answer. I'm going to, I'm going to deviate a little bit just for the sake of where I feel like maybe the Lord has me in this season. For me, it's always the doctrine of God. Like that's what I, that's what mm-hmm. I've always wanted to study. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's where, where I feel like God has placed my mm-hmm. affections for him. But I think one of the things that I've been thinking about um, over the last few years is, and, and Jen kind of alluded to this at the end, is also the doctrine of humanity. Uh, Calvin begins his institutes by saying there's two kinds of wisdom, knowing who God is and knowing who you are. And those two things are always in relationship. And we kind of talk about in the book, the relationship between the communicable and the incommunicable attributes, or the attributes that we're supposed to share with God versus the attributes that are his alone for his glory. And often in the relationship between who God is and who we are, we exchange those things. Of, I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be omnicompetent, or I'm supposed to be omnipresent or omniscient, or mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be loving. And, and, and those are the things that God does share with us. And so mm-hmm. I think the relationship between who God is and who I am is always going to be something I learn about. But to give like a small caveat there, I've also been thinking a lot about, so how does the doctrine of the Holy Spirit relate to that? The omnipresent, omnicompetent, mm-hmm. omniscient God dwells within me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I often don't rely upon him. Mm-hmm. I rely mm-hmm. upon my humanity. I rely upon my effort or my knowledge. And so mm-hmm. I think the the beautiful good news that the doctrine of God and the doctrine of humanity are separate things. And as Jen just highlighted with Job, where were you? 
and now the good news is, is the God who says, where were you is now with us. Mm-hmm. Is he's, he's the wow. God who's in us and indwelling us and empowering us and enlivening us to righteousness and godliness and joy and hope and strength. And so uh, I'm weary. Like uh, um, if, you're, if we're asking this question, who's who's weary? I'm going to raise my hand to that. Part part of that is because Macy and I started a juiced fast this morning and I've not had coffee today. <laughs> Self-inflicted <laughs> I'm like, weary. I'm like, what are we doing? What, like, what, what is life? I need Coffee's the Holy I need coffee. I need coffee and the Holy Spirit juice. this morning, yeah. you know. You're off and so, coffee right now. <laughs> like wow. this morning. But I so 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 then therefore I'm off coffee. I'm dependent and needy. Okay, what do I need? I need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today yeah. I, and we can make a joke about that. Like I I'm going to need at 2 p.m. today, I'm going to be in desperate <laughs> need of the presence of God. It's yeah, also no, no, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're it's going also to feel it. Yeah. And so I just would encourage your listeners, you have you felt recently? like a dependence upon God, I need you. Yeah. In this conversation, in this email, in this moment, in this uh, mm-hmm. tantrum that the kids are having, I need you. Will you, will you be with me today, please? Because mm-hmm. I am human and you are God and I need your presence. Yeah, really practically, I feel like I'm experiencing that too. And fasting, you know, has been something that has helped me awaken my understanding of my need. And it's it's not fasting from food. I'm currently breastfeeding, so that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, fasting from social media, just just certain things like that, like you're fasting from coffee, like just to heighten our awareness to our need for the Spirit's help. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yep. I love it. I love it so much. Um, guys, this is a wonderful book. I really hope that so many of the listeners will pick it up. Um, truly, if you feel like you need to have your affections stirred for the Lord, this would be a wonderful tool just to to help you in that. So thank you so much for joining us today, chatting about these things and for writing this wonderful resource for the church. Thanks so much for having us on, Hunter. Always an honor to be here. Hunter. Thank you so much. You're welcome anytime. Love y'all. If you found this episode with Jen and JT helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss future episodes in our Rest for the Weary series. As always, thanks for listening, you guys. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.